The year is 1995. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. I'm Charlotte. And this is my marvelous year. My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we go through the best of Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman. I'm joined today by Charlotte, the comic book rainbow belt, and Dave, the comic book expert. In this episode, it's a very special flashback episode of My Marvelous Year. We're going way back to the early 90s to show just how did Dave Busing get his start? What was young, bouncing Dave Busing like? Back in 1993, still was he still writing comic book lists obsessively with crayon? And Charlotte, when she was a child in 2015, is that right, Charlotte? <laughs> uh, sorry, too, too, too early? 2018? Uh, too was, soon, was she too still, soon. Okay, sorry. Uh, was she still... I don't know what you were doing back then. What were you doing in 2015, Charlotte? Uh, I just wanted to become a cop, I think, uh, for <laughs> today. <laughs> I just wanted to be exactly. a super cop, apparently. Yeah, well, I, I can't wait to dive into... We've got a bunch of uh, found footage of uh, of both of them from, from back then. We're going to weave into the show, okay, and well. I can't wait to get into it. Before that, I just want to say if anyone wants to support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our reading lists. Um, $5 a month gets you our Slack channel, six months early access to My Ultimate Year. Um, all the comics we're reading today are in the show notes, as always, and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help a ton. Um, 1995, we're, uh, we're done with 1984. I'm kind of surprised how quickly we moved through 1995. Uh, I feel like it is over already. Uh, like, we're, we're halfway through the 90s. It's a, it's a little surprising. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the... Is it, <laughs> is it wrong to say we're about to hit the worst... Of the 90s, and then it's going <laughs> to severely back off how many comics there are going on. Yeah. Dave, you, you have Yeah, I mean, so so we're, you know, and we've been talking about this through 1994, right? But, like, we are officially now, what we know historically now to be, like, Marvel falling apart a bit. But not just Marvel, like the comics industry as a whole, right? There's the boom years of the early 90s when these things are selling at literally all-time record rates. And all the image founders are making bank, you know, on all these. It's just comics have never been more popular. Um, and then, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> as so often happens with speculator markets, uh, <laughs> and and lessons are never learned, uh, you know, this this thing busted. And uh, and all of a sudden, the, the market dried up. Um, the money wasn't there anymore. It- and the tricks... You know, the variant covers and the foil covers and all these things, they mm-hmm. were not working the same way. And then on top of that... On top of that is as we get through 95 and 96, Marvel Comics begins making some historically bad business decisions. <laughs> and um, and if it hasn't already happened. And, and I think one thing to think about is 
that history may or may not be interesting to you. You know, I think if you're a, a big comics fan, maybe the history of the medium is, and we'll talk about some of that. Um, but one thing it definitely, re- like, it does reflect in the work. Um, there are some comics where you can sort of just go through the ride and, like, you would never know, right? You would never know mm-hmm. that, like, this sure. came out at a weak point in uh in the industry but i do think like broadly there's a sense of like there's malaise i don't know if either of you have ever been at an organization that was clearly struggling and like and like layoffs were on the horizon but it's a weird vibe yeah, it is a difficult I was, I was working there that wasn't going to happen you were working there i wouldn't let so that they... happen to any place oh so you that, took uh, charge <laughs> and you said not on my watch baby <laughs> Yeah, they should have hired little eight-year-old Zach Dean at uh, Marvel Comics in nineteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have yeah. straightened the place right out. Oh my gosh, it would have totally straightened out there. I was their just horizons. as mean and critical about comics back then. You would have said, now. "Well, so but, I, I like, really could." Here's the thing: is the morale would have been just as bad, but it would have been because no one had any confidence in themselves anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, the first thing we got to do: no Spider-Man comics. Mm-hmm. You know, no X-Men. Get rid of them right. entirely. I think the, have the Marvel offices would have united against you. So that would have uh, exactly. really created a, <laughs> create right, a unified yeah, villain. Yeah. The Ozzy Man yeah. uh, route is how exactly. I how I save a company. That yeah. definitely could have worked. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry, Dave. You were saying no. I mean, well, you're right to apologize, just in general. But <laughs> I was I was saying that if I'm, I've been in an organization like that, and it's like no one is doing their best work under those circumstances. Now it's a little yeah, different with Marvel right. comics because like the writers, the artists, a lot of these individuals are freelancers, right? Um, which doesn't mean they're not feeling the strain of freelance, but they're not like, you know, uh, Marvel's number one, you know, super fan or whatever, or like, you know, in the, in the walls, but editorially they would be. So it's a weird vibe. It's a weird vibe. Um, we're going to talk about the history of that. Maybe we'll cover it in more detail on variant covers. Cause on these episodes, we're obviously going to talk about the actual history of these comics and like I, I think all of that basically just boils down to it's gonna be a weird batch of comics <laughs> for the next like yeah three 95 years. is yep. 95 is very odd 95 is three big events right we've got age of apocalypse continuing the spider-man clone saga and x-men legion quest and then it is like six two to four issue chunks of like new series yeah and um, I w- and I would and say actually 95 I actually think of fairly fondly because Age of Apocalypse is included, um, I would say mm-hmm. Marvel 1996 and 1997 are historically my least favorite years of the publisher. Um, so we're not quite there yet. I, I think of all time. I haven't like done the rankings, but I think those are my least favorite <laughs> years. Well, of the it can show in the list too, because like if I look at 95, you have something like 18 issues or something on 1996, rather, um, and that's nothing compared to what we have been reading. Right. right. Like yeah. You know, there will be more. There will be more when we actually get there because there's more available now. I mean, some of that was an availability thing Um, because, you know, it's not like X-Men isn't going to have crossovers or whatever. You know, like that stuff still keeps happening. Um, But yeah, anyway, so 1995, we're not at the fall yet, but we're we're in the midst of the fall. And in some ways, that's worse. Um, And, you know, what we're in the midst of as well is like, okay, the Spider-Man clone saga is going on. And what that does is it creates a scenario where i think marvel editorial kind of realized um hey we're not really doing spider-man the way we used to uh can we do that (laughs) and they made a decision here with untold tales of spider-man to like be basically it's that totally um past looking you know regressive look or not regressive but like backward looking approach to like hey can we go back to the start because that was fun right like what stan and steve had that was fun can we do more of that and uh, mm-hmm. and enter Kurt Busiak and and Steve Olaf and Untold Tales of Spider Man. Pat Olaf, 
Pat Olaf. Pat Olaf is what he was going by um, publicly. But if you knew him well, oh. it, was, it was Steve. <laughs> if, you, if you know old Steve like I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so explicitly at the end of the first issue of Untold Tales, Untold Tales of Spider-Man, the editor, and I think it's Tom Brevoort here. I, I tried to pull it up, but it crashed my computer. No, it's not. Um, it's it's it, Budiansky it? is the... Is like the line editor, the Spider-Man editor. It's like okay. it's like Greenwald or Glenwald or something like that. But it, yeah, oh, neither yeah, yeah, there, really. Right. Yeah, writes a letter like explaining why this series is, uh, and it, it's kind of what you said. Like, oh, let's you know things have gotten so complicated and so dark. Let's like return to the heydays of what Stanley and Steve Ditko were doing. Let let's look to the past, and it's gonna have line synergy. That was one of the like really interesting parts about this. Is like we're gonna introduce. Villains from back in the '60s, you know the the original college days of Peter Parker, but then we're gonna have it be that they show up now in future comics, and then we're gonna introduce co- villains in future comics, and then you'll see their origins back in this one. But don't worry, we won't mess with any of your favorite stories. Like we promise not to defile it. So like, j- just with that setup, with them explicitly telling you what the series is and what it aims to do, do you think? Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah. Do you think it is? That was that was the main question I wanted to tackle. Pursuit. Uh, I I want to start with Charlotte, Dave. I do too. We talk about Spider Man. Same. Enough, okay. We're saying the same thing. All right, thing. Charlotte, Dave, and I, I both want to know what you <laughs> what you think, think about this. If if there is a good version of like going back to the golden age of uh, of a character and writing past stories about that character, this might be the way to do it. Like telling it to newer stuff and introducing new characters in it. I'm still not that interested. Uh, I'd rather have a new direction. Um, but I, I think the the, execu- the execution is fine. It's just not a concept I, I'm interested in at all, I guess. I see. I would, I yeah. would say conceptually, like I like the idea of what they're trying to do here, which is to revisit Spidey's early day. You know, it's a Spider-Man year one story, but it's not... Yeah. But it's just like, but it's telling it like you were telling some of those adventures we'd never seen before for the first time, you know? So it's fully Peter Parker in high school. I mean, I think they say in the letter here, like, this begins right after Amazing Spider-Man number six. So, like, it is firmly Mm -hmm. planted in continuity. Obviously, just from Marvels, we probably already know that Kurt Busiak is a big Marvel continuity head. You know, he's been a fan for a long time. He's been on the editorial side. Now he's writing. Um, Like, he's a huge continuity head. Um, So, like, this is literally dropping in like it says in the title right it's right there on the tin the untold stale tales um and they're and, and they're untold in a little stale right like like that that <laughs> freudian slip is true because they yeah. they are a bit stale you know they're they're pretty boring i i like the concept i do um i think the execution though is it's just kind of flawed and it's not really for lack of trying again on the part of busiak and olive who like if if the goal here is to fall back and tell Spider-Man stories in the style of Lee and Ditko, they're doing that. And they're doing that fairly yeah. well. Um, I just, I, I'm not that interested. It actually reminds me a bit, uh, in comparison to, like, the launch of Ultimate Spider-Man in the 2000s, which is, like, very what? much yeah. doing the yeah, same thing, but but recognizing that you're reading these in the year 2000 and modernizing yeah. just in the in such a way where it's like, well, there's a freshness to this that is compelling. Um, this Untold Tales has none of the freshness. It's by design, right? It, 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 but it is as as kind of stale as you can get. Um, I think there are. That's go ahead. That that speak that that speaks to like, <laughs> actually, what you're saying is like my exact issue with it, which is 
when I read that, I was like, you can take this in two ways, I think. If you're going to be like, we're hitting up the classic era of Spider-Man, you can either say, okay, we're going to do that and we're going to reflect on the time that these comics came out. We're going to try to do some kind of, you know, like, it's going to be talking about the 60s, right? It's going to be strongly 60s style. We're going to hit the, like, the, the nostalgia for the era. Like, not just the comics, but that kind of era. We're going to try to recreate it in a way that, like, we have the, you know, the foresight of the 90s and you get to look back at it and kind of, I don't know, either have the um, the nostalgia or the poking at the, the realities of the time period. Sure. Through the lens of the future, or which they don't do. Like, that, it barely feels like it's in the past, which I think might be something to do with the sliding continuity. This doesn't really feel like the 60s. There's one mention of a malt shop, and that's it. Besides that, like, this could just be in the 90s. It's less aggressive-seeming, but, like, <laughs> besides that, the, the dialogue, the clothes, everything doesn't, like, it doesn't scream the new, 60s. The new characters feel like late 80s, early 90s characters. Totally, yeah. The, the villains seem very modern. Yeah. Um, and then, or the other direction you could take is to try to take it and make, um, make something, like, new and exciting, kind of like what you're saying with Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Like, reinvent it for a modern age. I, I kept thinking of um, the Alan Moore quote he writes in the foreword of Hellboy, and I feel like I just brought this up on a podcast, so apologies <laughs> if I, I've already talked about how this. How many podcasts are you on? But A podcast. Oh, boy. How uh, many, how many guest spots are you dropping these days? Good golly. The, the, uh, it might have been my ultimate year. Um, he writes something about how Mike Mignola <clears throat> taps into, you know, like all these old horror oh, yeah. pulp comics and the, the trick that he does in that is that he's not writing comics just as good as they used to be. He's writing comics as good as you remember them being, mm. right? Yeah. And that's that's such like a beautiful uh, distinction here. And that, that's what I kind of feel, that's what I think about when I read John Byrne's Fantastic Four, right? Like, he's clearly <laughs> paying so much... O- I know, I know. But that's why I love that run. Is like he's paying so much homage to Steve, or uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. But they, these Steve are very Olaf. modern comics. And, <laughs> and wait... Uh, what do you mean? It, it's a little callback. It's a little callback joke. <laughs> oh, Steve. Yeah. All right. Oh, uh, good job. That Those improv classes are really paying off at uh, Second City. Who's on first? Um, <laughs> the, yeah. So, like, tr- trying to do that, right? Like, tr- capture the, the heart of what made those comics tick and then, you know, like, pump some fresh blood into them. And I, I just think it does neither of that. There's one yeah. JJJ joke here. That made me chuckle, right? And that's the problem, right? Like, if you have a lot of JJJ and he's not popping off the page, you don't know what to do with him. The way well, especially in this era, did. yeah. Um, Charlotte, what did, what did you think of of Untold Tales of Spider Man? Uh, beyond what we just said, like, I mean, it, it sounds like we're all on the same page. Um, what what do you kind of wish it was if if this isn't hitting for you? I mean, I I mean, I enjoyed it, but in the way I would enjoy going back to Lee Kirby. Uh, I mean, Lee Ditko uh, and Romita comics. Uh, like it has some good uh, Peter Parker stuff with uh, yeah. him realizing that uh, one of his bullies is uh, like um, he has a violent father and he ends up uh, helping him with uh, helping him him with his homework. Like there's some there's some nice day to day Peter Parker stuff that you can only do when you have Peter Parker as a teenager. Uh, there's one nice also JJJ scene of him. Um, like grappling with his hatred of Spider-Man and uh, like right. being in full denial about uh, Spidey being a hero. Th- there are some nice scenes, but overall, I'm just yeah, I'm I'm just out on going back to uh, lesser than uh, 60s comics, basically. 
Right. Well, and I do, I do think that actually highlights one of the challenges of Untold Tales, which is like when this was coming out in 1995, access to the Stan Steve yeah. stuff. Oh, wait. I don't want to point it out. <laughs> that is terrifying. <laughs> Zach, you sound like uh, like a horror version of Darth Vader. Yeah. When you're when you're popping out here, it's like slow and and terrifying. Can you hear us now? Okay, he's gone. He's gone. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what was I that? I think we're being hunted. Yes, absolutely. Oh man, that was terrible. Okay, we better wait. I guess yeah. in case that happens again, I'm not gonna be able to keep talking. It's just a signal thing. So if if it dies again, we'll just finish Untold Tales of Spider Man. Let's see if you can get right, and then we'll. We'll do scroll kill yeah. through. Okay. Um, so okay. So I was jumping off what Charlotte said before you haunted us. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think you tapped into something, Charlotte, there that is is pretty important, which is until Tales of Spider Man comes out in 1995, and at the time that it's coming out, this access to the Stanley Steve Ditko early days of Spider Man is nowhere near what it is now, right? Like, so it's it's much easier for us to say. Well, I'd just yeah. rather go read the 60s stuff, which is true, right? Like, it is true. Um, but they, like, Marvel Unlimited was was but a gleam in Marvel Comics' eyes at this point in time, you know? And, like, I don't I don't have a great sense. This is something I'd be curious, and if there were listeners who were around at the time could answer this um, in the Slack or, or email us at Gmail. I would really love to know the answer. But, like, what the collected scene was like for original Spider-Man stuff, you know? Like, I don't. I don't think, like, Masterworks had started at this point, you know? Like, we're still relatively early days post-Watchmen of, like, everything getting collected. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. was it truly back issue or bust for Amazing Spider-Man issues? Because obviously that would have been challenging. So, like, in that regard, I in that, that regard... Spider-Man had a, a Marvel Tales series, I think, which was only reprints. But, like, you had to have the chance of... Uh, being at the time where the right reprints were being uh, published. There you go. There you uh, and, go. Sure. And that's very specific to, to Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. But that makes sense, right? Like in the way you had classic X-Men to like reprint. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the Claremont Byrne stuff. Um, you would need that with Spidey. But it but it is like contextually in the market. I, I think there's probably – these coming out probably felt a little fresher purely in terms yeah. of like you wouldn't necessarily have had the easy opportunity – to go binge the original run in the way that you do now. I think yeah. now they, they don't hold up because They also don't fulfill the role of uh, going back to the origins. Like you can't read this and then go to go to 90s or 80s runs of Spider-Man and be like it's a sequel to that because no, it's it doesn't work as a retold origin or retold classic stories. It's just new hidden stories that don't actually impact anything going on at least as of yet. Well, and and it does kind of require the knowledge of the original run, right? So, like, yeah. I guess to my point of, like, well, it can evoke the the sensibility and the sensation of reading these for the first time, but it's also simultaneously so ingrained in the style of those comics and in your familiarity with what Peter Parker was like then, his relationship with Betty Brant, um, everything going on with the Stacys yeah. and, and making Captain Stacy, you know, more of a presence earlier. Like, all that stuff is rooted in Spider-Man continuity in such a way that... Um, the familiarity like <laughs> weirdly it's like both a both a burden and a necessity um yeah. to enjoy these which i think is a challenge i don't know like i'm i think the i think the reason i'm probably most critical of these is i really wanted to enjoy them a lot more like i i actually think conceptually i'm really into this idea of of revisiting these at this time and me i th i guess the big thing for me would be like 
I actually want them to reflect the knowledge of what has happened and explore things and set up mysteries in the past based on what's going on in the present day. Like, my biggest request right now of Marvel, truly, would be in X-Men series, like X-Men Legends they're doing right now, which is all about, it's a very conservative, regressive approach um, to bringing back X-Men creators who were successful in the past. So they bring in the Simonsons to do X-Factor stories that we'd never seen before. They bring in Peter David to retouch his X-Factor run. Um, They're going to have Chris Claremont doing a a Gambit story or whatever, right? But it's all about like, okay, let's bring in the classics. Let's bring in the legends. And they're just going to tell stories like basically from their runs. What I would rather that series was is a look back at X-Men history through the lens of what we know now. Yeah. Right? Like, based on things that are happening in current-day X-Men comics, I would love, love to revisit the continuity with what we know now. And Untold Tales of Spider-Man, like, purposefully avoids that. I actually think that's the thing I would be most interested in. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds more interesting than what's happening here. And I get your disappointment because we just came off of the other Busiak thing we read was Marvels. And that we all agreed that is a excellent, excellent comic. Uh, and then to follow it up with something that's kind of a, like, it's not bad, but it's not good either. It just kind of feels like a, a nothing comic. Although, you know, I, I do agree if you're a kid in 1995 reading this, I think these are totally, like if I was, you know, reading these when I was eight years old and these were coming out, I would have been thrilled with it. I would have had a blast. So like, yeah, right. There, there is a little bit of, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we are not the time, the, the audience of the time or the correct age for this. I no, I, it does. You know, it actually reminds me of as well is um you mentioned alan moore earlier uh he did this series for image called 1963 which was um it never finished (laughs) technically but there's a bunch of issues and it's just a reimagining of the early days 1963 marvel comics um but it's with you know characters that are analogs or whatever right that are that are based on marvel characters but it's just and it's so it's such a love letter but it's so earnest and such a love letter that, like, there's not really anything new to it. Um, like, and sometimes I think creators who have such tremendous affection for the past, which is one of the most underrated things about Alan Moore. Like, like he's a huge comics fan, or he was. You know what I mean? Like, that actually gets underrated in the, the way the industry has, you know, made him more of a cynic about it all. But, like, Kurt Busiak, huge mm-hmm. fan. Tremendous affection. For the past, right? Like, if you have ever, like, looked at Kurt Busiak's Twitter in the last, like, seven years or whatever, like, he's an enormous comic book fan. Um, and I think sometimes that affection and and writing just the love letter can actually be to the creator's detriment. Um, it's generally heralded as positive, uh, but I think in these instances, it's played so straight and so accurately that it kind of doesn't bring anything new to the table. Um, and that's, I guess yeah. that's why I'm disappointed by it. I, yeah, I don't even know if, like, I, I mean, I, both of you kind of keep saying, like, it feels very accurate to the old stuff, but, like, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't match it for me, and maybe that's just, you know, rose-tinted glasses. But, like, the whole time I was reading this, it's like, I'd rather just go back and read the old ones, like, hands down. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah, and, like, that, but, that's the thing uh, that we were kind of alluding to. Like, it, and, and they're well-constructed, right, right? Like, Olioff is doing, like, good work. Like, Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're fine. They're fine comics. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, there's... The comics themselves are fine, um, but I think with Marvel Unlimited Access <laughs> that we have now, it's like, yeah, just go read Amazing Spider-Man if you haven't before. Yeah. Like, absolutely, that is the recommendation. Yeah. And I think Busiak would agree. Like, that's the thing. Is like, I think that's kind of what this comic is saying, too, in some ways. Um, so, all right. So that's Untold Tales of Spider-Man. I do have to say, um, it, there are. I don't think there are any way to make a Spider-Man comic less interesting to me 
than by starting out with Spider-Man wants to be hired as a cop by the NYPD. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank <laughs> you for bringing that up. You know yeah. what, though? <laughs> you know what, though? It makes a ton of sense. Like, that is a, that is a weird thing that kind of was never touched. But, like, yeah. S- Spider-Man's future girlfriend, Captain Stacy, this kindly... You know, Uncle Ben-esque figure in his life. <laughs> His future girlfriend. Spider-Man's future girlfriend, Uncle Stacy. Listen, the 70s got weird, man. The 70s got, got different for all of us. I said Uncle Stacy, so we're both uh, slipping up here. <laughs> what kind of um, fan fiction did you guys read? Oh, man. you If you haven't read my Uncle Stacy fanfic, you are missing out. <laughs> your AO3 Stacey accounts here. are nightmares. <laughs> but I'm saying, you have all these vigilantes in the 60s. Uh, especially, right? A, a very, like, it makes sense that some of them, especially the young ones, like Spider-Man, would go to the Fantastic Four and be like, hey, can I be on your team? I don't want to do this by myself. It makes sense that he would go yeah. to the police force and be like, I want to be a cop. Like, it's it's a goofy mm-hmm. panel today, like, absolutely. Um, and it's played goofily as well. Like, it's not like it's played, like, I mean, it's played straight, but um, but it does yeah. make sense. And then Captain Stacy would be like, you need some form of identity, and it's, Spider-Man doing the thing he always does, which is, can't give you that, I'm out, you know? And, like, these ridiculous requests he's making. Um, So, yes, it reads very comically today. Um, It reads very out of touch, but, like, that's kind of the the point, I feel like, you know? It's it's set in the 60s. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, There's also a a moment where the cops... uh... The, the end of one of these villains, they've got all these space-themed villains, and one's a black hole, and they're just like, oh, it seems like you can absorb bullets, but your face seems pretty normal. How'd you like a bullet to the head? <laughs> like, jokingly, and that, the villain's got this, like, yeah-oh, <laughs> look on his face. Yeah. And uh, and that's the end of that scene, and I think it's just a little bit of, like, yeah, the cops are going to shoot him in the face. That, uh, that read a little bit. Yuck, 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 yuck. Yeah. And I mean, yep. r- right after Spider-Man, like, right after Stacy refuses to make him a cop, uh, Spider says that he's looking for uh, mugging, a bank robbery, or anything to vent his frustration on. And yeah, maybe he would make a good cop after all. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would. I think he would. Like, that's the thing. Like, yeah. Peter Parker, like like most vigilantes in the 60s want to be cops. Yeah. Es- like, especially a young one. You know? I, I don't think that's untrue. Um, so, okay. So, uh, the other thing I do want to say, Zach, you brought this up right at the top, but uh, there's the letter in the back of Untold Tales of Spider-Man number one, and it is interesting, uh, but I do want to warn you that it does actually spoil some Clone Saga stuff um, that we haven't yeah, read yet, and Ooh. it's like, yeah. it's obvious, and if you're if you're existing in a, a in an like, incredibly spoiler-free zone, avoid it, I guess is all I'm saying, because um, it does reference some stuff that's going on in the Clone Saga in 95 that we're going to read later. Yeah, we learned that Un- Uncle Bernie is a clone of uh, Spider-Man's girlfriend. <laughs> right. We had not. <laughs> we had not gotten Peter that Parker's point. girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. and that's why that's why young Dave in 1993 was taking all those therapy sessions because every crayon <laughs> drawing was <laughs> was Uncle Ben <laughs> and Spider-Man together, and I was like, "That's Uncle Stacy." And then I showed them and just page like just like scroll upon scroll of reading list that I had made, and and, and then you crayon. went on to write trouble. <laughs> I that's that's what that's part of why I have trouble rank so low is I wrote that when I was six and they just took it they just yeah. took my crayon drawings and they they did it themselves speaking of being like you know you you and I were six seven years old at this time uh-huh. Dave um are, are we getting close to when you read your first Marvel comics like in real life oh gosh no <laughs> I'm no uh, really? I'm was it an was odd it duck college for you yeah I'm an odd duck in that sense um okay. I didn't, I, I truly don't know 
what my actual first comic would have been. Like, my first memory of reading comics is not until, like, right after high school or college, which is obviously after most <laughs> most growing adults start. Um, but as a kid, I did not read comics. I, I must have picked up a handful, like some weird ones when I was younger, because my dad would have had them, but I don't remember it at all. Mine was uh, pretty close. It's going to be, like... 96 97 was a, a batch of spider-man comics i got from like a convenience store way out in the middle of rural maine like absolute boonies of rural maine had you know like six or seven issues and we were going camping and i bought this whole little run it was the middle of some awful awful spin-off web of spider-man something um i'll have to look it up and try to find it because uh I, I, I found it in the past it's not even on marvel unlimited they're so like <laughs> unessential spider-man comics but um, yeah, and then I didn't read really Spider-Man comics again until I got one of those CD-ROMs with PDFs of every <laughs> issue when I was like sixteen. Uh, yeah, yeah, them. which sounds which sounds awesome. So uh, yeah, I was reading, I was picking up uh, issues here and there around this time. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm with you. All right, so yeah, and I guess that makes me the real fan. So. You're definitely <laughs> the early Charlotte. When was your first comic? When did you When did you first Ooh, pick up a comic? Yeah, it was I mean, definitely Charlotte. First... Definitely. <laughs> My first comic, Bannon, was uh, very early, but my first Marvel comic was in 2014, I think. 2014. I, and I think it was a Jeff Loeb comic, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Oh, like boy. Wolverine or Ultimates or what would it... No, or like Blue it was or a, one of those, the color ones? No, it was the initial issues of uh, Sam Alexander as the new Nova. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> That's yeah. a weird one. <laughs> That's a really I weird mean, one to it's... jump in on. I think it, I feel like it makes sense as a first Marvel comic. Like it's a teen character that is introduced to the rest of the universe. Right, right. Like you don't have to know anything about uh, Marvel history to get into it. I feel. What was your What was the reason for that? Was it a fluke? Was it intentional? Like how did you wind up with that as your first? I think I ju I had just watched the Guardians of the Galaxy movie and yeah. Gamora and Rocket were on the cover, so I was curious. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. See, and they always yeah. say the MCU. Nobody reads comics yeah. after the MCU. Fibs, a bunch of fibber bibbers. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I Dave, it, I'm, I'm diverting us a lot, but I was thinking that uh, we, I was thinking about teens and kids reading. <laughs> 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 Oh, please carry on. I, I don't get it. What's funny? Nothing. Gen genuinely, I have no idea. About <laughs> reading comics. You just said I was thinking about teens, and then there was a pause. That's hilarious. Oh, it cut out. I said I was thinking about teens and kids <laughs> reading these comics at the time. <laughs> I think my, my connection just almost cut out. I was like, I have no idea why you're laughing so hard right now. Um, I was thinking about, like, you know, kids reading the 1994 Untold Tales and how they would totally be fine with it. And, like, are kids reading comics right now? Do you have any insight on this, Dave? Like, do like kids today? read Marvel like and 2022? right now? Yeah, in 2022, do you think, like, people under 15 are reading Marvel and DC? Well, I'd, I'd go even younger for kids. But, like, I mean, so, well, it's kind of, I mean, kind of no. Because, and that's, it's a much bigger conversation. Maybe we could open it up on a variant. Well, I guess, it's, yeah, well, you, here's you the thing. To, if you think, so, two answers. Two answers. One, yes, in record numbers. Two... Not superhero comics. <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, well, yes, right? that's what I mean. Like, Marvel and DC. No, I know manga, web comics, like, indies, some indies and stuff. Well, um, it, more it's the... It's Dogman. It's Raina Telgemeier. It's it's these audience... It's these authors and, and creators that are making comics for kids um, that yeah. are selling oh, in I just record read, numbers. Uh, I just read Smile yeah. last week. 
Sure. Yeah. Like Smiles. Smile. Like really good. Yeah. I, I think people who are obsessed with superhero comics, like myself, um, often mm-hmm. don't realize that the huge <laughs> the growth. Smile outsells all of them. By, oh my like, gosh! By by miles, right? The huge growth <laughs> yeah. in like there's such a desire <laughs> for kids to be reading comics. Um, and as as my kids get older. You know, I'm recognizing this as well, but it's like I would never sit down with them and be like, all right, let's read the latest issue of Batman. Um, mm-hmm. right, aside yeah, from yeah. any they're issues very, that have dinosaurs like in them, because they'll want to look at those. Like, they're just not written for like, kids. Yeah, I feel like kids don't read mainline Marvel or DC stuff. Like, they would read stuff like Guri Heroes, uh, Thor and Loki, Double Trouble, or like sure. comics that are made with Marvel characters, but outside of continuity and specifically designed for kids. But I don't think kids read. Uh, who whoever the hell is writing Spider-Man right now, you know? Um yeah, my my 5-year-old has not asked, uh daddy, when can I get the latest copy of Zebwell's Spider-Man Beyond? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that has not happened. Right. Yeah. Um so yeah, yeah, I mean I think it's a it's a bigger conversation. There's more to it, but I mean data-wise, kids comics have never been a bigger market. I mean they're they're yeah. blowing up. Absolutely. Like that's I just had this interview with Marjorie Liu, which I'm super proud of and it's just about to come out but the main topic of conversation was she just wrote her first all ages middle grade graphic novel you know Marjorie Lou mm-hmm. incredibly accomplished author but like that's that's where she's moving um because there's a story there but also like that market's enormous you know that market yeah. is enormous uh so yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. kids are reading comics but no they're not uh, but then I, that's one of the things that's so weird about Marvel right now is they don't they're so messed up with their strategy about trying to market towards kids. I mean, they literally are licensing out their all ages stuff to IDW, right? They just gave up. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then, the, but then occasionally, like Charlotte just said, they'll drop a Guri Hero, you know, Thor Loki Double Trouble, or uh, Moon Girl and um, Devil Dinosaur kind of thing, which is more all ages. Or um, I don't know, even something like uh, well, Unbeatable or what is it? Not Unbeatable Wasp. Um, anyway, there. Yeah. Well, there's Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and then, oh, Unstoppable Wasp. Um, but oh, yeah. they occasion and they, these are the books that tend to get you know, the the angry far-right fanboys so up in arms, it's like anytime anything's written for, like, a younger audience, especially if it's female. Um, but but it, Marvel's strategy is just so messed up where it's like, well, wh- when and how are you trying to work to those audiences? Like, it, it, it always just feels like it's, like, like it's just, like, done on a whim as opposed to actually being a, I don't know, something they're thinking through. I, I think most comics today yeah. are for old white men. <laughs> Right, I mean, yeah, from Marvel. Sure. That's that, yeah. that's my my thinking. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah. um, I I think that's I think that's a problem. I, I do think that's a problem. Um, but it's that's a bigger conversation. Which which is funny because it's like when we're reading these comics in the '90s, you're starting to feel like ah, these are not being written for like 13 year olds anymore, right? Like like we're about to read Skull Kill Crew, Scrawl Kill Crew. Uh, this this doesn't feel like it's written for little kids. You don't think this feels like it's written for 13 year olds? <laughs> yeah. Maybe I think I feel like this. I think it's best enjoyed by thirteen years old. Maybe. Yeah, Yeah. this comic has a real identity (laughs) crisis going on. It does. (laughs) I mean, I I think the audience progression. I would say from well, see, this is even through the. I mean, the audience progression is now into like the teens, right? Is like we actually want to capture, you know, teenagers. Um, as and and whereas disposable income, right? Yeah, whereas like that was that's always been a part of the audience, um, but now it's like really heavily marketed. Uh, so yeah, let's t- let's talk about Skrull Kill Crew. 
Uh, this is a five-issue mini. It was not intended to be a mini, which is something I just learned reading about mm-hmm. it uh, yeah. this last round. <laughs> yeah. It was going to be an ongoing. It's five issues. And the reason Skrull Kill Crew is on the list and is so fascinating to me. Please tell us. Is it's co-written by Grant Morrison and Mark Miller with pencils by Steve Ewell, who did a lot of okay. uh, The Invisibles with Grant Morrison. Um, mm-hmm. the, the historic partnership of Morrison and Miller... Uh, Their status as larger-than-life, some of the biggest comics creators in the world today and over the ensuing decades, makes this odd Marvel product so fascinating. uh, Most of what I want to talk about is about them and their relationship and sort of the history of how they got here and almost none of what's actually in the pages of Scroll Kill Crew (laughs) because it is a very forgettable comic book. You'd think yeah, you'd yeah, think it, this comic totally would be more unfocused. exciting. I will I will say that. Yeah, to- it's totally unfocused. It feels like you get to the end of it and you are like, it it doesn't justify why it exists. Uh, it doesn't give you anything to hold on to. The comedy feels like simultaneously like it's trying to be really really edgy and mean yep. and like dangerous, but also never does. It feels very safe and very uh, targetless. I guess. Um, and uh, and then yeah, it just kind of like never I, like by the end, you're like, so who are these characters? What are their powers exactly? I never really figured out what the main character, like Ryder, what his powers were. Sure, just <laughs> a little bit of a problem. Like I, some of the other ones, I got their powers, but like the main character, I don't know what his thing is. You don't get a motivation besides like we hate scrolls. There, there's some genuinely icky stuff in here too, right? Like, oh yeah, it's it, like I mean there there's. Yeah, let's let's just go down it, I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, the the main pairing of the Skull Kill Crew, Skrull Kill Crew, is a is a white supremacist skinhead and a black man who basically are doing the like. Yep. Listen, you know, let's just smoke a joint together and find out what we have in common, <laughs> right? Like, like it, which is that we both hate Skrulls equally, so we can get along, get past our differences that way. Um, which reads is very naive and silly and like fake edgy right like that that's the big thing is it feels like it's just trying to be very like uh edgy and in your face and uh what's the word like uh not not aggressive i mean aggressive but uh like um well it is, it is purposefully sub- violent and i mean edgy is the right word because provocative. this yeah. is literally yeah. provocative it's it's trying to be provocative provocative absolutely yeah you give the people what they want yeah you know? it's uh it's provocative uh this is literally the short-lived like, marvel <clears throat> edge imprint that lived for like six months where Marvel was like, okay, all of our violent, edgy, provocative comics are going to live under Marvel Edge. And that was Skrull Kill Crew. Mm -hmm. Uh, It included like Ghost Rider. I think Daredevil fell under that, but it was, you know, like, um, I don't know if Wolverine did, Punisher. You know, basically it was like, who are the hot, violent characters? (laughs) You know, that's Marvel Edge, baby. Um, And that's, that's, I think Skrull Kill Crew embodies that probably more than anything else that came out at the time um because it, it's morrison and miller i mean they are very purposefully setting out to do the most like i think in quotes are at the time they're like we're going to do the most violent marvel comic that anyone's ever seen kind of thing but it's um, not really that's no. the weird thing they t- it's like <clears throat> a touch of the old hyper violence and then like i've seen more violence in x-men comics like it's like they're killing yeah. scrolls but like it's not bloody it's not it doesn't make you wince there's nothing like I don't know. Maybe that's just the art, but the uh, there's nothing like palpably violent about it. Um, I mean, the, the closest thing that this comes to feeling like genuinely nasty and maybe the right 
provocative ways as the last issue where they kill that entire town of Skrulls. But, like, there's also just this level of ickiness to the whole thing where, like, they're using the language of, like, genocide in a way that just does, <laughs> does not work and is not, like, you, you don't feel like there's any kind of thought behind it besides, like, an excuse to have this concept, which is some hyperviolence. Yeah. It is a deeply uh, thoughtless it, it comic. To the, yeah, it delves into the very icky and thoughtless idea of having an entire alien or fantasy species be entirely evil which mm-hmm. is problematic in itself because based on racist ideas and so and that gives them an excuse to just have entire scenes of slaughtering scroll children and yeah. families yeah yeah th- i mean the kid stuff is kind of crazy yeah. but then like i could see threading a needle here right like y- you could do this if you didn't draw so much attention to <clears throat> like the parallels between what they're saying and genuine like yeah. <laughs> racist propaganda the like writer is just talking about like scrolls are only good for two things which is like recreate like procreating like creating as many filthy copies of themselves as possible and uh, violence right and it's like jeez man that is some like very nasty language right like that is so so let's let's talk about that in relation to the creators so i think one thing about scroll kill crew that probably will surprise people who haven't read it is it feels like what we know of Mark Miller comics now, mm-hmm. right? Who is yeah. a, a creator who has gone on to do The Authority and Ultimates and Old Man Logan and Kick-Ass and Wanted and just just ridiculous Hollywood career of everything he writes getting turned into a movie kind of thing. Um, that's become shorthand for Mark Miller comics, right? Thoughtless edginess. I think what it doesn't feel like (laughs) is a Grant Morrison comic who is one of the most thoughtful superhero creators of all time, right? They are like in a a league of their own when it comes to thought put behind comics. Um, And, and Morrison in 1995, they're already very successful. (laughs) You know, Morrison to this point has already written, um, Batman Arkham Asylum was absolutely massive. Animal Man, Doom Patrol, uh, some great Vertigo stuff. Um, He's starting Invisibles, yeah. Invisibles is is on the is me. is starting to roll. Yeah, so like Morrison's already established. Um, we're not that far off from from them taking over JLA and that becoming a big deal. This is, to my knowledge, both of their first Marvel comic. Um, neither yeah. would return until. The 2000s when Miller started Ultimate X-Men and uh, Morrison started New X-Men. And what a weird Marvel comic it is. I do just, you would never guess that this is a Grant Morrison production. I think one thing that historically, again, is just fascinating to me is Morrison and Miller were really tight. Like Morrison took Miller in as kind of a protege um, around, you know, obviously around this time. Um, He helped Miller get... His first gig, which or first big gig with DC, which was the Swamp Thing run that, that's kind of going on before this. Um, they're really close, like all the way through the 90s, and then they have a blow up, a really famous blow up, um, which I would encourage you to like Google and read about because it's like 99% Morrison talking about it. Like Miller's just kind of like, uh, Miller's kind of got this perspective now of somebody who's like, I've had a lot of success and I don't really care to wallow in the, you know, the, the negative of however this relationship ended. Um, but Morrison has pretty incredible things to say about Miller, including a quote that is basically, I'm paraphrasing, but to the effect of like, yeah, we were friends until he caused me to lose all of my faith in humanity. 
<laughs> which is so <laughs> harsh. Um, but at this point, at this point, they're they're pals and they're writing this comic together, and it is it is just like it's exactly what it says on the tin. But there's just no. If you're looking for deeper meaning, if you're looking for layers, it's all potential. None of it's there. None of it's in the content. Or even yeah. fun, right? Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> or even like yeah. a good time. Like, I, I, I think could get the, behind this. You the know, closest like... the premise comes to working is when they do their killing scroll things, but with Hydra. Because uh-huh. there uh-huh. you have you have an enemy that you can actually hate because they're literal neo Nazis. Like but you have literally Baron Strucker with a yeah. Adolf Hitler cigar. Yeah. It's still yeah, boring, I, I, but it's it's like comes close to a, like what you say about and I, I'm not saying this is anywhere close to that, but like kind of what you used to say about um, Punisher by Garth Ennis, which is just like dumb and over the top, uh, mm-hmm, sure. like yeah. violence, and it works when it's not uh, an entire genocide, including children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, t- two things. There's there's two moments I actually really like, and they're very small little things here. Um, one, Baron von Strucker is talking about how much he loves fascism and how they deserve to take over. And who's going to take over? Doctor Doom, that neoliberal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was good. That line really made me laugh. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is it, it's funny because Captain America's in two issues here, and it's totally unclear whether or not they're like valorizing Captain America or skewering him. Right, like they give him a lot of cool moments, but then and he's fighting Nazis, but then at the same time, it kind of feels like they're making fun of him, and it's it's just totally uh, unfocused. This whole thing feels unfocused and underwritten. But there's a cool Captain America moment yeah. where he's standing there with his shield ready, and some uh, guy's got a kid held hostage, and then the kid kicks him in the shins, and then it cuts back. The panel cuts back to Captain America in the same exact pose, same frame. But the shield is missing, and they go, "Where's the shield?" And it comes bouncing from behind and hits him behind. I thought that was a genuinely really cool Captain America moment. Um, it's a fun sure. little action beat. Sure, him. yeah. Besides I mean, that, I do think like there's yet. a. It, it's interesting to consider the world where this didn't get canceled and Marvel wasn't falling apart at the seams. Um, and like, if Morrison and Miller had done this for twelve issues, even would they have? Would they have actually started taking it seriously, you know? And and I think it's like I don't I don't know that they weren't taking it seriously. I guess because especially Miller, it's like Miller needed a reputation boost. They both seem to genuinely wanted like we like if you read like the quotes from the time, it's like they wanted to get into Marvel because they needed to boost their profile in the superhero comic scene, you know, to continue establishing careers as freelance writers. Um, which is wild for Morrison that like. Again, like coming off of the success of of Animal Man and Doom Patrol, that he'd feel like Scroll Kill Crew would be the way, to, or that they'd feel like Scroll Kill Crew would be the way to do that. Um, it, but it's like it, it's not like they were anywhere near where we where they are now, where they could just like mess around, you know, and toss out just like a total joke. the The only way that Scroll Kill Crew works for me, I think, is if the intent was to say, "Oh, you like violence? You like all this edginess?" And then make you feel really squeamish about that. Um, and that's the, if that was the provocative sort of almost satire, where it's like, we're going to give you all the mm-hmm. violence you want, sure. but we're going to make you feel gross about it. I don't know how, in t- I don't want to give this comic that much credit because I don't think it's that thoughtful, but yeah. that's kind of the only way it would work for No, me. I don't think it's doing that. Yeah. 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 Cause, yeah, yeah. You could like, could see this as being a bunch of like anti-heroes slash villains, right? And like have the focus on them and then, you know want you to kind of 
I don't know, kind of like Miller does in the Ultimates sometimes. Sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Yeah. Uh, and that this is not that. Yeah. No, no, it's not. So, I mean, it's, again, like, it is historically interesting because of the names involved. Um, apparently, yeah. Yeah. apparently, it wasn't even going to get to finish a story. Tom Brevoort, the editor, had to go to bat to get them even a fifth issue to finish this series. So, like, and honestly, like, yeah, like this is a series that deserved to be canceled. <laughs> like, you know, I say yeah. it'd be interesting, but like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. not, it's not super special. It's, um, it's really messy. It, well, it's, I mean, I think the affection is all like, well, and I, I guess I don't want to speak for people who like it, but like conceptually and because of the creators involved, it feels like a thing that could be big, insane fun. You know, basically what you were saying, saying Charlotte of like the Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon Punisher of like, it could in theory have tapped into that. It does not. It doesn't. Yeah actually do that um but that's the thing that it could have done you know and just i don't know there's so much messy like like you have this white supremacist character which already like okay i'm on edge (laughs) and then you have a development where the scroll virus they concocted is like giving them like patches of dark skin so you have a white supremacist who is becoming different shades of skin color and them reacting to that. This comic is not (laughs) equipped to talk about that. You know, like this, like that that is, that feels like such a Miller thing of just like, but isn't it funny? Like a white supremacist becoming black. Sure. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I'm not even going to say there's not a world in which that could be funny, but this is, it's not this guy writing it. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It's such, because there's no joke here except for that. Right, that's the joke. That's the beginning and the end of the joke. Is that one sentence? Yeah, Nothing yeah. Else here. And I'm not, not even talking about the humor. I'm just talking about no like character. potential commentary. Like there's just there's not even commentary. You know, it's just it's got yeah. no time for that. You know, it's just it's just a massacre, <laughs> and the comic kind of a massacre too. Um, I, yes, Zach, you you're right that like I do occasionally see this heralded as like. I don't know, like a missing gem or like a forgotten thing or like, oh, like, let's see, saw, let's see this post-secret invasion yeah. in the MCU, you know, that sort of conversation. Well, I saw, and I it's saw like, people being like, the MCU? I saw tweets of people saying like, Captain Marvel, I was so disappointed with Captain Marvel because it made Skrulls good guys. And that means we're never going to get a Skrull kill crew. <laughs> I'm like, what, what are you asking? About? Well, you know what? I, I don't know who, which like TV station it was, but there was a, a network that announced in like 2006 that they were making a Skrull kill crew show. 2006 so weird yeah uh, it never came to be but like that, that's very funny that the uh the gear started moving on turning this into a tv show well um, and here's the thing in the comics yeah. though too is like we've already seen a variety of different um personality types and and potential empathy yeah. towards the scrolls right like there are plenty of issues we could point to where that happens you know and that actually does remind me i i will say the thing we skipped over here and the maybe the only thing i like not the only thing, but the, the biggest thing I like about Scroll Kill Crew is the way they use the goofiness of Reed Richards turning Scrolls into cows in Fantastic Four number two <laughs> yes, as a jumping off that's point funny. to um to give this sort of scroll virus that's spreading, right? So they the way they do that is because these scrolls were turned into cows and then returned into cows later <laughs> after the Avengers um Cree War, that there are like scroll patties, basically. That like hamburgers have been have been made with scroll meat. Um, and that's sort of the impetus for like whatever plot there is to be in Scroll Kill Crew. That is a clever, fun use of continuity. And and, and it's, it's a little provocative, nasty moment that actually works. Yes. I think. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That, that works well. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I would definitely go. uh, Did you read, end up reading that article I sent? 
in our. Uh, uh, I read a I read a ton yesterday about Grant Morrison and Mark Miller and Morrison just laying in to to Miller because they're they're whole related. And actually, I do want to say. So they co-write a few things, and actually the other stuff that they've co-written um, on the DC side, Aztec the Ultimate Man, uh, they did a pretty short Flash run together. Um, those are actually interesting. Those actually have moments that are are, are worth reading, especially Aztec. Um, Squirrel Kill Crew just does not even come close. <laughs> it's just, like, uh, it's I, I just read a mess. The, I read the article you sent, and like it's weird that they were selling it as kind of like a homage to the 70s classic Marvel stuff. Which this is very much not. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, the, the way they so were talking funny. about it was They're... very weird and two-sided because it was, at the same time, uh, they were saying it was like, yeah, classic homage to classic superheroes, and then the most violent and mindless uh, book you've seen at Marvel. Right. They. Which they, it, it's well, neither. Yeah, it, was, it was a weird time for them because both of them were like, they seem really. I mean, especially Morrison seem really dissatisfied with Vertigo, which is like yeah. where they made their name really. Uh, but like they were very tired of adult comics and horror comics, and they really wanted to get into superheroes. And quote Morrison says, uh, "Restore their dignity, make them fantastically powerful and godlike and aspirational again." Which is <laughs> which? which that is so Grant Morrison's thing, right? That yeah. is so yeah, Morrison's right, thing. But not here. Yeah. Not here. <laughs> not here. Right? Look to JLA. Look to All Star Superman. Um, look look across the catalog, and you will find it. Uh, but not in Scroll Kill. Although- I have to say, like, this is the type of comic where I would expect, like, a total desacralization of superheroes and, like, treating superheroes, like, in The Boys, for example. And this is sure. not this, because the, the main characters all have huge respect for the the Marvel superheroes, except maybe Captain America, but it's unclear what's going on with him. But, like, the main character, Riker, Ryder... Uh, like, says he's he has a huge respect for the Fantastic Four and the, and, like... He talks about non-white heroes, like I think Luke Cage and Black Panther. Like he says that superheroes are for him the heroes, the good guys. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this feels more Morrison because I feel like Miller would just have done a all superheroes are a holes, uh, like like what he does in the Ultimates, kind of. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it is interesting, and it's I mean it is. It's like both of these creators clearly can do <laughs> provocative cynical works obviously miller mm-hmm. right sure. um with with kick-ass yeah. and wanted or whatever you name it but even morrison i mean stuff like the filth something like happy you know is like a dark violent comic they they it's not like they don't have this gear um it's just at this time in this moment it did not click uh and it it feels like a comic yeah. that if they obviously they wouldn't do it together now but if either of them wrote it now it would be weird and kind of fascinating uh and this is not that unfortunately agreed agreed but interesting uh you know i actually kind of think i I was telling rose after i finished reading this i was like it was only nine comics but like i had no fun (laughs) reading any of this but i think they're all really interesting uh to talk about and uh, yeah right no these are both like these are these are less like comics i love and more just like projects that are (laughs) kind of interesting historically um I, i think next time I don't know yeah. what exactly the order is at this point. I'm still kind of working through it. But, like, we do have fun stuff coming up in 1995. We're going to keep talking about Clone Saga stuff, which, again, like, we talked about in depth, you know, in part one. Part two is actually going to continue to be pretty interesting, I think. Um, there's obviously, like, some really great X-Men stuff that I love. Legion Quest into Age of Apocalypse is coming this year. Um, we're going to do a little bit of Generation X as well because you still have some of the Lobdell, uh, Chris Pacello stuff. Um, and then there's, I don't know, some odds, some odds and ends. We got Garth Ennis writing Punisher kills the Marvel universe. I actually think will be a pretty good comparison to yeah, scroll kill crew, you know, in terms yeah. of like, 
okay, yeah. if we're going to do that uber I, I violent thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we got good stuff coming. So, <laughs> so stick with us if you're in the reading club. Uh, but you know, if you just want to listen to us talk about them and uh, and and you know, pick your poison on the reading list, that is obviously fine as well. So, all right, 1995. It's coming your way in part two. Uh, you can support us over at patreon.com slash this year for all the ways that, that you can get benefits and talk with the club and all that fun stuff. Um, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. Uh, we got Zach at My Marvelous Year on Twitter. We got Charlotte at Fiero Charlotte. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, all, the, all the issues that we're reading are in the show notes. You can find them all there. And music for the show is by Disaster Piece. So thanks everybody for listening to an odd episode to kick off 1995 part one, but uh, but an interesting interesting time in comics I have to say. All right, any any final thoughts? Anything else we got? Nope. Okay. Eat scroll meat, I guess. Eat more meat. Eat scroll meat. Eat scroll meat. That's Chick Fil A's new new ad campaign. Oof! Just a couple cows up there, or a couple chickens writing "Eat more scroll." Yeah, hey, that'll be the tie-in when uh, when they launch it in the MCU, right? You'll see a lot of those I think billboards. that's what my parents meant when they told me to eat my greens. Eat your greens. There you go. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be strong and healthy, perfect. All right, exactly. eat your greens, and we'll see you next year. See you see next year. year.